Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Thursday night edition of BAMS Radio. I am Thomas Watts, the uh, producer of the show, and uh, as you as you might recognize, I am not the normal person to bring it in. Drudy Armand is actually out doing a little bit of late Christmas shopping, but uh, it, the good news is he will be calling in shortly. Sorry, he's actually texting me as the show starts. It's a uh, it's, it's a crazy evening today. But we have a great show planned for you. Our number one is actually going to be uh, Drew and William Redfish Barger. They're going to be talking a lot of Alabama stuff. I'm sure that Redfish has a ton of thoughts on things like Steve Sarkeesian being named the Alabama offensive coordinator, as well as what has been heard you know, coming from, let's call it, behind the curtain about Alabama, Washington, or even some recruiting. It is during the, it is the dead period, but you know, I know there's the Najee Harris situation still swirling. We spoke about that last week. I feel like we've talked about Najee Harris on this program many, many times, but that's not a problem. That's what happens when you have a fantastic player trying to get, trying to get a fantastic player to your school. Excuse me. I apologize. I try to tap dancing here a little bit listeners, but, uh, during hour number two, Drew's actually going to drop off. He's got uh, he's got some stuff he needs to do with his better half, and you will have me doing hour number two, and we've got a little bit of audio to play then. Drew got to cover the Rocket City Classic that Alabama played in this earlier this week, and he has some postgame commentary from both Avery Johnson and several players. On top of that, Drew had a long conversation about Alabama football with Ryan Fowler earlier this week. So it's going to be a pretty good show. Also, in between those bits of audio, I am going to throw it open to callers. If you want to, if you're just catching this, the number is 714-510-3707. We'll, uh, I'll be taking anything. You know, if you want to wish somebody a happy holiday, you want to talk some trash to the Washington Huskies, or you just want to chat with me about something that, you know, burning a hole in your proverbial pocket, you know, something you wanted to get off your chest, We'll do that, too. It's going to be just an hour for callers, an hour for everything. Before, excuse me, before I I actually have to go try and find Redfish and Drew, I I do want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Uh, Obviously, I I don't expect as many people to listen because everybody is dealing with their in-laws or whatnot, but the show must go on. I wanted to make sure everybody had a little bit of Bama talk before the large fat man decided to break into everyone's home and instead of taking things, leaving gifts. But let's do this real quick. I've got 703. Drew is still trying to get in. I'm going to play a little song so I can get a hold of Redfish and actually get some content rolling. We will be right back with Redfish on BAMS Radio. Oh, 
Going down a backwoods Tennessee byway One arm on the wheel Holding my lover With the other A sweet, soft, southern thrill Worked hard all week Got a little jingle On a Tennessee Saturday night Couldn't feel better I'm together With my Dixieland tonight Spend my dollar Park in a holler Neat the mountain moonlight Hold her up tight Make a little loving A little turn it up And on a Mason Dixon night It's my life Welcome back to a little more BAMS radio. As I said before, I had to spend that little interlude. I did have to get Redfish on the line, and unfortunately, I cannot both talk to listeners and produce a show at the same time. I haven't quite figured that that magic out yet, but I do have Redfish on the line. We have William Redfish Barger, you know, 1992 national champion, former Tide. Former Tide great. I don't think he likes me calling him former Tide, but you know, Redfish, how you doing this evening, buddy? And happy holidays. Hey, you too, Thomas. How are you, man? I am pretty good, Redfish. I have to admit, I expected Drew to be with us by this point, so I'm a little frazzled, but, you know, the show must go on. We'll uh, we'll make it rocking and rolling, having a grand old time. But, yeah, I think the hot-button topic, Redfish, and this is kind of the softball of all softballs. We talked about this a little bit last week in terms of Alabama's new offensive coordinator, and I think – I know I felt, and I believe you did too, that this this was going to happen after the playoffs. How surprised were you that Nick Saban went ahead and made Steve Sarkeesian the offensive coordinator once Lane Kiffin leaves for Florida Atlantic? Um, you know, it, it surprised me a little bit. Um, I kind of expected that deal to play out, you know, much in the same way that um, it played out with Lane being the offensive coordinator. You know, he brought him in as a consultant, and, you know, it played out through uh, college football playoffs and bowl practice and stuff, but you know, I guess having, you know, Sarkeesian on campus and, um, you know, him being familiar with the, the, the personnel and, and everybody, um, you know, good for him. I think it's um, a win as far as recruiting is concerned if, if you go ahead and announce it and get out in front of all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm tickled to death to have him. Um, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see, especially um, if you hit the fast-forward button three months into March with what goes on in spring practice and see what his mark is on this Alabama offense because he has a lot of tools at his disposal. You're certainly right there. Uh, Do do you think that he's going to be – I know one of the conversations – you know, hearkening back to when it was Sarkeesian and Kiffin as co-offensive coordinators at USC, Kiffin was more the wide-open guy, whereas Sarkeesian would pound the football a little bit more. 
do you expect a little more of that? Or are you going to take a wait and see attitude, you know, going, you know, hitting that fast forward button a little bit? No, I think that's uh, a great point, Thomas. And I think that's what we can expect to see out of Steve Sarkeetsian. Um, I've spent some time talking different media guys that were out there at USC when both those guys were working for Pete Carroll. And, you know, they've all told me the same thing. You know, expect a 60-40 um, run pass percentage. Um, you know, they, they think that, um, you know, he's more committed to the run. Um, you're not going to see a lot of the true plays. Um, that, that Kiffin has done this year. And, uh, you know, what they told me as an Alabama fan was you should be happy because he's more committed to running the football than Lane Kiffin was. Well, that, that's good news. I know there's been some, some obvious consternation among the Alabama fan base, but it's neither here nor there. You know, Redfish, I, I'm going to go a little bit outside of Alabama here because as a former player, I want to get your take on this because I think that this is really the hot button issue of the week, but I think your, your take would be appreciated because you did actually play. What are your thoughts or what's your opinion on the, the Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, and then shock Linwood out of Baylor's decision to skip the bowl game? How do you react to that as a former player? Coach Saban kind of put it into perspective for everybody, you know, as far as, you know, the, the teams that are devalued from the playoffs, um, you know, and, and talking about that stuff. Um, I see that. I understand it. Um, it's it's a real-world thing. Um, you know, I, Thomas, I think it's kind of a byproduct of, of the microwave society that we live in. And, you know, it's, it's what can you do for me now? And, you know, guys like Leonard Fournette, whose LSU team is not a part of the college football playoffs, um, you know, McCaffrey, Stanford, you know, I think the same thing. Uh, you know, they've got people that are in their ears, you know, all fall long. And, you know, if they don't make the college football playoffs, they're saying to these guys, you know, hey, do you really want to risk a game-changing injury playing in a ball game that doesn't mean anything? And I think you're going to see more of that um, as the college football playoff era goes down the road. You're going to see more guys choose to do that. Um, and, you know, I see both sides of the stick. Um, you know, be a good teammate versus, you know, hey, uh, you got to you know, protect yourself for the NFL draft. But, that, that's that's a real big hot topic to you know keep your eye on and watch as things go down the road. How do you think the Alabama fan base is going to react when Alabama doesn't make the college football playoff one year? And, and you know, look at this 2016 team; they're going to be a whole bunch of first round picks. Some of those guys decide not to play. How do you think the Bama fan base will take that? Well. <laughs> You know, the good news for the Alabama fan base, Thomas, is don't see a scenario, um, you know, within the next four years where Alabama is not in the playoff uh, consideration. Um, I think, you know, if you 
look at this 2016, oh, excuse me, 2017 recruiting class and what that coaching staff has put together with a guy like, you know, Nadia Harris and, and Alex Leatherwood to, you know, mix in with a guy like Brad Bozeman and Jonah Williams along the offensive line. Um, I don't think that's going to be a concern for your casual Alabama fan. Um, I, I personally think that Nick Saban has uh, this this Alabama offense keyed up with with so much talent that they got a chance to rewrite the record books. I mean, you know, when you look at what Jalen Hurts was able to do as a true freshman um, with the running backs that he had at his, at his disposal, you know, you add in a notch Harris there. It can get real sick real quick, and I just don't think that's going to be a problem or a talking point that Alabama fans should worry about. Well, I I, I don't think you're wrong, but I, I imagine there will be some some sky is falling, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I do agree with you. It's going to be tough for Alabama not to make the college football playoff, given how talented that team looks, particularly over the next you know several years. But you know, talking about this year's team, I think the the hot button or the biggest question now, you know, Alabama's got what they've got. How uh, the question is Rashawn Evans really? You know, Rashawn Evans will certainly be taking over for Sean Deon Hamilton, thanks to Sean Deon Hamilton tearing his ACL during the SEC championship game. Redfish, what are you hearing coming out of Tuscaloosa about that young man's uh, like preparation? How he is, it has the light continued to come on. What are you hearing about Evans? Well, I I think it's a a classic case of, you know, if you look at his career path, um, he was a five star, um, you know, certainly that was a, a contested, Recruitment between Alabama and Auburn, and, and you know, and Alabama won that deal with, with the recruitment. But if you look at it, um, I think he's been a guy that's, you know, been in the program. He understands the defense, um, and you know what they want out of players in certain positions. Um, and I think he's very, very ready to, you know, take that next step and you know, be that guy that responds, um, you know, beside, you know, Reuben Foster. Um, and I think you're going to see big things out of Rashawn Evans, um, you know, against Washington. And, you know, if they win that game, um, you know, against the next, uh, the next playoff opponent. Um, but I think Rashawn Evans is a very dynamic player. He's, you know, a uh, quick twitch guy that, that can get jobs done. Um, you know, he should do a great job against Washington. And you, know, you mentioned just now taking steps forward. And a lot of people have said you know, these 15 bowl practices are a chance for a whole bunch of players to take steps forward to kind of not only – heal after a long grueling season, but then self scout a little bit and try and develop a few, just some of the stuff that any football player, any person, you know, self scout, evaluate, try and make yourself better. Who, 
uh, on this Crimson Tide team, do you see taking steps forward like that? A guy, would a guy like would it be unfair to expect Jalen Hurts to take a step forward as a passer, or, you know, or who else? Who, who are candidates in your mind that might surprise in what now actually a less than a week and a half to uh, the game? Well, you know, I think the, the the main thing is you have to understand what Nick Saban has done and absorbed over you know now three playoffs, and you have to look at those guys. Um, you know. Uh, the obvious guys are, you know, guys like Shaheen Carter, um, you know, Trevon Diggs, uh, you know, those guys didn't really have a prominent role in the program, um, you know, day one versus USC. Um, but, you know, they're, they're doing it now. Um, but, you know, but that injury situation, you know, with Sean Dion Hamilton, that gives a guy like a, a, uh, Rashawn Evans a chance to come up there and play next to, you know, Thomas, I would think that this is a, you know, a good topic for conversation. Has there ever been another situation where two former high school teammates that were both five-star prospects and I'm talking about Raymond Foster and Rashawn Evans, where they've gone to a college campus and had the opportunity to play, you know, neck and neck against each other. That That's good stuff. It, it certainly is. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the guy. I mean, heck, I'm an Alabama fan. I'm looking forward to the game just because it's Alabama coming out and I, I know we'll get more into the, the X's and O's of the Washington-Alabama game next week. I'm sure the mo- majority of our show will be focused on what Alabama fans can expect when the tide t- tangle with the Washington Huskies here in Atlanta. You know, Spoiler alert for me, I think, it's, uh, I think Alabama's going to come out with a pretty solid win, but we'll get into that next week, Redfish. You know, with it being the Christmas season, you know, Christmas is three days away, what what Alabama, Alabama fans are obviously going to be opening presents. What gift on the recruiting front do you think Alabama fans can look forward to? You know, if there is there one thing or that you're looking forward to or most interested in over the next, you know, let's call it among the early enrollees. Who are you really excited about? Well, I, mean, I think they uh, they've got a, a large contingent of early enrollees. I mean, I think if everything plays out the way they're supposed to, they could have, you know, 12 to 10 guys in role early. Uh, but, you know, I think, the, you know, the one guy that everybody's, you know, so concerned about is, is Nigel Harris, the five-star running back from California. And, uh, you know, Thomas, I don't understand why Alabama fans let themselves get trolled by uh, other website moderators, you know, with this stuff. You know, Najee Harris has been committed to the University of Alabama since, to the best of my recollection, April of 2015. So, you know, he's been, uh, you know, immersed in the culture. Um, he's got the teammates, you know, guys like Alex Leatherwood and 
Ben Davis Cowan, you know, the quarterback to, uh, you know, that he talks to on a daily basis. Um, you know, that's the thing that just, you know, baffles me. You know, there's two things that really frustrates me about the Alabama fan base. It's worrying about a guy like Najee Harris and then, uh, you know, the rumors that have circulated about Reuben Foster, you know, blowing his knee out in practice this week. You know, that, that didn't happen. Um, and, you know, I just can't understand why people don't, you know, grasp that. Uh, you know, Cameron Robinson is going to be your starting left tackle. Uh, Reuben Foster is going to start at, at the Mike linebacker spot. But, uh, you know, they buy into this stuff, and they just go crazy, and they start sending texts out and all that other stuff. Um, you know, enjoy your holidays with your family, and, uh, you know, leave the football stuff to the experts. I, I feel like I need to get that bumper sticker made. Enjoy your enjoy your holidays with your family and leave the football to the experts. I like, I like that a lot, but you know, and I realize I'm bouncing around Redfish. I apologize for that. But, but going back to, you know, your fast forward metaphor earlier in our conversation, it really made me think, and a a conversation I was having with a mutual friend of ours, Murph Baldwin, we were talking about next year's team and particularly next year's right tackle. I think we both agree that Jonah Williams will immediately slide into the left tackle position. So who takes over for Jonah Williams next or yeah, well for Jonah Williams technically is taking over for Cam Robinson. How do you see that? that? That's been one of those interesting, you know, play it forward conversations that I haven't had much insight into. Um, you know, I think it's a, uh, you know, a double edged sword. I mean, I think it should be, uh, Alex Lemon. Um, you know, it could be uh Toe, Elliot Baker. You know, it could be a guy that's been on campus for two years and uh Matt Womack. But, you know, the good thing is I think Alabama has the, the deepest and the most uh dynamic offensive line depth that I've ever seen from any any program in college football. Well, that that that's a completely fair thing. I was I I was doing a conversation doing another show and we've pretty much agreed I was that this Alabama team has a chance to push into the 2001 Miami level of talent to the point that Alabama might actually have more players drafted, even though those players will not be highly drafted as some of the hurricanes in 01. So that, that gives, you know, listeners an idea, you know, you're talking about when you talk 2001 Miami, you're talking pretty much the most talented team ever assembled based on draft grades and ability that you saw playing forward in the NFL with guys like Donovan Vilma and Willis McGahee and all, all that group of guys. So uh, I thought that was a point that you would find interesting in terms of where this team sits talent wise compared to some of the all time greats fish. 
Well, you know, look at it last year. Um, you know, Urban Meyer had the, you know, so-called most talented team in the country. And, you know, they, they, they didn't even make the playoff. Um, Alabama, you know, Clemson, whatever it was, did. But I thought the worst coaching job that I've seen in, in college football was last year via Urban Meyer. You know, he had five guys that got drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. And, you know, those guys didn't make the college football playoffs. I really didn't get I think that's a good question, and we'll see. You know, we we're not, I won't talk about Washington, Alabama yet, but I am curious about your thoughts for the Clemson-Ohio State game. I personally have Clemson winning that game on the back of Deshaun Watson, even though Ohio State is ridiculously talented, for many of the reasons you just enumerated. What do you think of the other playoff game? We can talk about that a little while and just kind of keep the Bama game in our, back, back behind our back for a little while. No, I totally agree with you. I think that um, Ohio State is the most talented team, but, you know, they they, they, they don't produce on game day. Um, I think Clemson, you know, it's the same team from last year. Um that they had a good offense and a good defense. But let's see what they do. Because, you know, in my mind, I, I, I've seen Deshaun Watson be hot and cold. And, you know, if that's the case, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I think we will see what happens. And I I just, I think that Deshaun Watson, well, I think Deshaun Watson is going to be able to stress Ohio State in a way that they haven't really been stressed. I mean, I realize that Ohio State shellacked a pretty good Oklahoma Sooner team down in Norman earlier in the year. But other than that, I don't feel like Ohio State has been stressed the way that Deshaun Watson and crew will be able to do that. I mean, how many mobile quarterbacks has Ohio State really played? I mean, they lost to Penn State, and Penn State's not as good as Trace McSorley is. He's not Deshaun Watson. And, you know, they're close games. And, hell, Indiana was hanging with Ohio State for a while. Northwestern almost beat Ohio State. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I, think, uh, I think Clemson – I think you're going to see a rematch for uh, the national championship in Clemson, Alabama. And we won't talk about that fish, but all I will say, you know, you can give just a brief, a brief thought, buckle up because that game will be absolutely wild. Just like it was last year. Should it come to pass, of course. Well, you know, and you know, that, that, that stuff comes with the, uh, Dabo apologist, but, uh, you know, got that stuff out there. 
and uh, well, I just lost Redfish. I'm gonna have to try and get him back. But you know, we'll uh, here, let's let's do this while I'm working on Redfish. If you have a question for Fish, I thought I'd have Drew with me, and he's obviously he is obviously incognito today. Give us a call at 714-510-3707, and maybe I'll let you get on and talk to the old, old redfish. But unfortunately for me to get him back, I have to play a song in between because I have to work the phone line. So we'll be right back on BAM's radio. We'll be doing a little more conversation with redfish. Okay, folks, I apologize, and welcome back to a little more Thursday Night Bams Radio. I believe Redfish's phone has died. I couldn't get through to him just now, so I'm going to pull a quick pivot. I think we'll have a shorter show tonight, but uh, I'll be honest, I was tap dancing pretty hard with Redfish, and I apologize if it was not uh, up to the usual BAM standard, you know, throw, throw rotten fruit at the producer's face. Just miss, please. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go on and transition a little bit. If you want to talk about anything you just heard from Redfish, uh, you want to talk to me, ask me a question, give us a call at 714-510-3707. But in the meantime, Drew was able to get some post-game audio from Avery Johnson following the Alabama game that was up in Huntsville earlier this week. It's about 11 minutes long. I'm going to go on and play that just to give everybody some content, you know, kind of shift gears a little bit. You know, we didn't do basketball with Redfish because he's a football guy, but let's hear a little bit from Avery Johnson. And if you want to go on and get yourself in queue on the line, give us a call at 714-510-3707. But here is post-game comments from Avery Johnson. Well, first of all, I want to just say a big roll tie to all of our fans and supporters that came out to this game tonight in Huntsville. Wow. Um, you know, when we first started strategically planning this game, there were a lot of uh, question marks. And, and, man, but the city of Huntsville, um, they answered a lot of questions that, number one, they really love Alabama basketball. They love basketball in general. Uh, they're going to support us. And so the first thing I want to just say is thank you to the city of Huntsville and all of the volunteers and everybody, Night Needy, uh, that 
that helped organize this game. I know it was a lot of people behind the scenes that I probably will never meet, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this this really felt like a college basketball game tonight, so I'm excited about that. You know, overall, I, I liked our performance, especially defensively. Um, I, I thought we were very competitive. It's probably the first game we've had since I've been here where a team didn't make a three on us in the first half. Uh, sure, we gave up a couple of long rebounds, but I liked our flow and game playing defensively. Offensively, you saw us try to run a little bit more. We scrapped probably half of the playbook, simplified a couple of things. So we got something to build on, and that's a really good team. Uh, they've been scoring a lot of points. They upset Georgetown, upset Army, Tennessee, Chattanooga. So we played against a really good team. So I'm really proud of our guys. Uh, these guys up here, they all had a hand in us winning the game. And, um, man, but I'm really excited about the turnout tonight. It was, it was really incredible. Thank you, Coach. Uh, let's take questions for the players. Just to introduce them, left to right, we got Braxton Key, Raleigh Norris, and Jimmy Taylor. Questions for the players. Uh, Riley, I just wanted to ask you how it felt to kind of be back in your home area and play well tonight. Uh, it was great. Um, the fans were amazing. Uh, we had a great atmosphere, which helped us. Um, when the game was close, they helped us keep pulling out those uh, big stops and big baskets. But our team played well. I'm just glad we got a great team win tonight. Um, it's a great momentum heading into the break, and we're going to get ready for a game on the 29th. Let's go back left, Cecil. Uh, for Jimmy, uh, you came off the bench tonight at, at 13 points, a big offensive game. Is that what you were kind of looking to provide for the team in terms of offense? Uh, I mean, I wasn't planning on, I wasn't planning on, I was coming out, came into the game trying to do a spark for my team. You all want to come together and get a win tonight. Other questions for the players? Thanks, Coach Sonny. Hey, Brett Riley. I just like you drew that, uh, that and one foul, and it seemed like the team really responded after that. I think you guys went on like a 20 to 4 run after that. Did, did that kind of spark anything for y'all? I guess the other two players could answer too. Yeah, I think it was a momentum play, but uh, all in all, our teammates played together. Uh, we made, on the defense end, we made stops together. We got rebounds. I'm actually going to cut this audio a little bit short because I do have the other of our three amigos on the line, and I wanted to get him on the air, talk to him for a little while. I want to welcome Drew Armand. Drew, it's great to hear from you again. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. How's it going this evening? Pretty good, Thomas. Uh, again, uh, uh, it's always good to be back on BAM's radio. Uh, I, 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 hear, I heard some of the audio from the post game uh, with uh, Alabama and their big win over Arkansas State. I was honored to be a part of that last night. Uh, and hopefully we can go back and finish that after our conversation. But uh, it's just it was a great atmosphere. There was, you know, 6,500 people in the Probst Arena, which is at the Von Braun Center. Uh, it's newly renovated over the last couple of years. A beautiful facility. Uh, it was just what Avery Johnson wanted, uh, as you probably heard in his comments, and just thanked Huntsville profusely. Uh, it was a, in Tuscaloosa. You probably had two to three thousand people, but you had a packed house in Huntsville. There's a lot of passion for basketball, and it was a good win for Alabama, especially considering how they got their teeth knocked out by Clemson. So uh, it was good to get back above 500 and have a chance to go to 7-5, to and five, beat Stetson at home before the SEC starts in Starkville, Mississippi, on January the 3rd. So uh, any win right now is a good one, and they really performed pretty well on the defensive end of the court. And It was ugly offensively at times, but they got the job done, and pretty good considering Corbin Collins and uh, Nick King are out right now. It certainly was. And, Drew, 
I, I'm reluctant to bring this up, but I have to ask about your Duke Blue Devils and Grayson <laughs> Allen. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> uh, not, uh, not, not becoming conduct, that's for sure. Uh, he's obviously got some anger management issues as well. Uh, he needs to learn to control his emotions. I'm an emotional person also, but I don't think Coach K had any, you know, other recourse but to bend, but to suspend him. Uh, after you see the replays and see the meltdown on the bench, you know, he needs to kind of cool his jets and, uh, you know, and basically uh, calm down and, and gather himself. He's a great talent. Uh, he has the ability to be an All-American and a National Player of the Year candidate. They have enough talent on their squad now that uh, the Jason Tatum's of the world, uh, Marcus Bolden, and Harry Giles are getting healthy to win the national championship. But uh, they're going to need Grayson Allen. He was an integral part coming off the bench during their last title run when he was a freshman. Uh, but, again, uh, you can't have conduct like that. And I'm not surprised uh, with, with the, coach, the actions Coach K took. Well, that's pretty true, Drew. And I just wanted to—I wanted to ask you because I know you're a Duke fan. But you know, just jumping straight back to the Alabama basketball team, you know, how, how do you feel having now seen the program for I know several times in person, and then just overall, how do you feel about Avery Johnson's uh, squad this year as they've gone through the non-conference? Well, they're gonna—it's gonna be a chore to finish above 500 overall, probably. Of course, we, we don't really know yet how strong the league is as a whole. Uh, the out-of-conference results have been disappointing. Uh, you know, they haven't got a, a quote-unquote signature win. I, I would have thought they would have, at worst, probably come out of it 8-4. and four. I thought they would get one of those wins. I quite honestly thought the preseason Clemson would be a winnable game in Birmingham. Uh, and then Dayton as well on their home floor. They dropped both of those, so... You were hoping eight and four, maybe nine and three. You certainly weren't thinking an undefeated squad. Uh, I, I kind of overrated the talent when I saw them early. I thought they had a chance to win twenty plus games and get to the NCAA tournament and, it, and at least the NIT. But obviously, they don't really have a go-to scorer. Uh, you know, they, 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 Corbin Collins is, is a fifth-year transfer, but he's a he is a he's a solid player from Moorhead State, but he's not all SEC caliber. Uh, you know, I have, I've been a little bit surprised that Dazon Ingram hasn't been better, but he's really still just a true freshman because he only played last year about seven or eight games before redshirting. He's still a really young player trying to find himself. Armand Davis has not been the scorer out of junior college that everyone had hoped. And then, but, you know, Dante Hall has improved quite a bit, but you're not getting a lot out of the seniors. Though last night, one of the seniors really stepped up, and that was being Jimmy Taylor had 12 points. And was a force on defense, but you're not getting that kind of contribution every day. For this team to be successful, you were going to need uh, more balanced scoring, which I thought you would get. Uh, but uh, Shannon Hale has not stepped up as a pre- as a senior and been the 12 to 14 points per game scorer that everyone had hoped and, and a solid starter. Uh, Braxton Key has had his moments. He's a very good player. Uh, he and uh, Shannon Hale would be excellent to play together because He's quick enough and athletic enough to play the three, I think. But the problem is uh, Shannon Hill has not produced consistently. Riley North has been in a, sl- a shooting slump. They just really, if they had a Retno Bostahan back and Arthur Edwards, if those two cats had been juniors and you bring them back, I think this is an NCAA tournament team. But they're missing uh, that nearly 30 points per game scoring uh, that those two guys provided, and they haven't been able to really find it. 
you know, so if they – but a lot of times I've, I've said this narrative many times, uh, 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 Thomas, is the thing about it you have to remember is that uh, in sec- sometimes the second year is tougher than the first. The last good run Alabama had of NCAA play, Mark Godfrey had a five-year run. His first year at Alabama, they did much what uh, what uh, you know what we've seen Avery do. They they overachieved. They finished above 500. Uh, they had a chance to go to postseason play. Then their second year, they had a losing record because he played a bunch of freshmen. And then they made an NIT run, 25 wins, and then third year, and then began a five-year run of NCAA's by year four. I do think Avery's ahead of where Godfrey had the program because of his recruiting. Uh, I think he's going to recruit even better than Mark Godfrey, quite frankly, and develop players. Uh, but right now, they just need more talent. I wouldn't even be surprised if they signed another big late, if they could get the right fit. Because uh, for, don't don't forget, Avery Jr. is a flex scholarship. He can be moved uh, to a quote-unquote walk-on, though he's much better than that. He has actually been a pleasant surprise. I, when the season first started, I wasn't sure he was an SEC quality player. I do believe that now. But I also believe they need to get more contributions from others. Overall, it's going to probably be one of those seasons where it's going to be frustrating at times. But what you have to do is just remember the future, and the future being John Petty, Colin Sexton. Uh, there's there's a, 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 an extremely funny video, if you check my Twitter feed, Thomas, going on about Colin Sexton. He was just in the City of Palms Classic. He's very confident in his ability. He was going up against Penny Hardaway and their team from Memphis, Tennessee, and basically turned to Penny Hardaway, the former uh, you know NBA All Star, and told him his son was trash, and that he was well. going to school. Well, he did so. <laughs> they stopped Colin Sexton. So Alabama needs scoring like that. They need athleticism. John Petty was also in that tournament. Played very well for Jamison, who I will say L dot com classic. So those two guys, you factor in two top twenty talents along with three other very solid signees, perhaps in addition in the late signing period. Avery Johnson is going to turn the roster over, and they're going to be very good. But right now, they still don't have enough talent. A lot of people say don't blame Anthony Grant for everything, but a lot of the lack of scoring in offense right now is due to the fact the recruiting hasn't been really good uh, in the last few years under Anthony Grant. Avery Johnson is trying to fix it. But a lot of people complain about the offense. And, and Avery Johnson admitted yesterday they're going to start running more. But, Thomas, it's just like in any sport. If you can't, you know, in football, if you can't score touchdowns, in hockey, if you can't score goals, if, if, in basketball, if you can't hit shots, and uh, in baseball, if you can't hit, it doesn't matter what kind of offense you run if you can't score. And Alabama right now in basketball, they just don't have enough scores on, their ba- on the squad. Well, I hear you on that front. I've been keeping an eye on trying to watch box scores, and it seemed like a struggle at times, but I haven't been able to spend as much time as I would probably should have and would have liked to really study the team. So, so Drew, flipping over to football real fast, I know that's really – I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on that. The – I don't want to say obvious, but it's going to say – the obvious question or the surprise, really, of the past week was the Steve, Steve Sarkeesian hiring. Not so much that he was hired, but the timing of it all. C- can you uh, can you guess or you know what, why did why did Nick Saban decide to this timetable for Steve Sarkeesian? But even more, you know, what was your reaction to the hire after it came to pass? 
Well, you know, I was not surprised in a way because, you know, I I said this, I think, on the show earlier that I felt like uh, that this time with uh, with Steve Sarkeesian already there, that a succession plan was in place. Uh, and that at the time I thought Steve Sarkeesian might even take over the, playing, the play calling and QB coaching and offensive uh, design for the playoffs. But Lane Kiffin is going to stay because he didn't go to work for uh, Ed Ogeron at LSU, and he got a head coaching job at Florida Atlantic, so he's going to be there throughout the playoffs. But I think really, honestly – and, and and I know what the listeners want. They want to know, well, what about the incident that happened in Atlanta, you know, before the SEC championship game? Something did happen, and, and Steve Sarkeesian has demons. But I think Nick Saban wants to help him. I think you could tell by the, the, the press conference last Friday when he said Steve Sarkeesian is a part of our family now. We want to help him in any way we can. I think much like he's given players second and third opportunities, Steve Sarkeesian won. He gave a lifeline to Lane Kiffin, to his career. And so, uh, and I just really believe that he wants to help Steve Sarkeesian. And, and Sarkeesian is a brilliant offensive mind in his own right. And I think Coach Saban did it uh, in order for the, for the biggest reason is because of recruiting. I think Steve Sarkeesian is a better recruiter than Lane Kiffin. That's not being disrespectful. It's just being factual. And I think two of the bigger pieces of that class stick out like a sore thumb. He had Steve Sarkeesian in Hawaii to, to help uh, hold on to Tua Tagovailoa, who's going to be a early enrollee and turned down a lot of interest late from Oregon, Florida, LSU. And uh, also there's a, the other elephant in the room, no pun intended with Alabama, is Najee Harris from Antioch, California, who is an absolute freak of nature. And I believe he will stick with the University of Alabama. And I think the reason being, Steve Sarkeesian had a very close relationship with his inner circle and was recruiting him for Southern California before coming to Alabama. And I think Nick Saban, recruiting is always on his mind, Thomas. And I think overall, he felt like Steve Sarkeesian is a brilliant offensive mind who's a perfect fit if they can help him manage his demons and I think they believe that he would definitely be able to hold, help hold on to Tua Tagovailoa. You've heard Tua's family speak so highly of Sark. And I think with Najee Harris, who is, you know, despite the fact Alabama could have four excellent running backs returning, is a different breed. And I just think that Alabama spent so much time, possibly Floyd, doing great work too, that they needed to hold on to Najee Harris. Well, certainly. And we've been highly, highly uh, praising praise Najee Harris on this program since basically the day after he committed. I mean, we've talked about him over and over, so you definitely want to keep a talent like that. And I, I can definitely see the recruiting angle with Sarkeesian. And one of the things, you know, obviously he is going to step up in recruiting. Do you see play calling changing very much under Sarkeesian, or do you kind of see the you know same song, different verse that we've seen over the past couple of years with Lane Kiffin? Honestly, I see more tailback oriented, a more tailback-oriented attack. I know Lane did that with Derrick Henry last year, but I think we'll see that more so with Steve Sarkeesian. I think he did an out, outstanding job with Bishop Sankey at, at Washington, made him a second-round pick. I think he will feed the backs more. I think Alabama is going to be more of a ground-oriented team, but he will use the mobility of Jalen Hurts. But the biggest thing about Steve Sarkeesian, and, you know, and we'll hear that later, uh, uh, you're going to play – we're going to have some audio from Ryan Fowler later in the program, correct? Yes, you're correct. 
Um, and I, the reason I was checking on that is the listeners are going to want to hear that because Ryan has featured several guys from the West Coast on his show this week, and the narrative has all been the same, talking about Steve Sarkeesian and his impact, and it's, and it's reinforcing what Ryan and I had already heard, and that is that uh, what, what uh, the Steve Sarkeesian is is a quarterback whisperer. And I want to explain again on our show tonight what that means. It's not a slide at Lane Kiffin, because I had a caller on my show talking ball today call in, and he wanted to, he was saying, I, I don't understand. At first, he didn't understand what the point I was trying to make. He was like, because Lane Kiffin has done a great job with three different quarterbacks at Alabama. And what I explained was, what Lane Kiffin is, is he is, he, he is an outstanding schemer and play caller. And what he does a good job of, he identifies a quarterback's strengths. He identifies the strengths of those around him. And he's a great designer of offense. And then, and then uh, creating mismatches against an opposing defense. He did a great job with uh, Blake Sims, who was an inexperienced quarterback, but who he figured out was a pretty good deep ball thrower and was accurate on the short, quick game too. It had enough mobility to scare offenses, or excuse me, opposing defenses, where you could do a few quarterback runs and some just some improvisations. But he built the offense around Amari Cooper, uh, and he featured him, and he had. You know, he broke SEC records, over 100 catches, 1,600 yards, touchdown catches, and was a Heisman candidate. And Blake Sims put up excellent offensive numbers, too. And I, despite the fact Alabama still had a good running game with T.J. Yeldon and Derrick Henry, the really the backbone of that team was a passing team and featuring Amari Cooper and making big explosive plays. Now, the second year, uh, he figured out that Jake Coger could throw vertically as well good deep ball thrower, underrated mobility. But what really the strength of that offense was was the offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award uh, as, as run blockers and Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry was a different breed. He was a guy that could handle 35 carries a game and still continue to produce. Uh, and he'd, he'd done that in high school. He did it at Alabama. And they rode Derrick Henry in the play-action passing game and the vertical attack to a national championship. And then – uh, in his third year, he gets a true freshman quarterback in Jalen Hurts. It's a true dual threat. It's still a developing passer, but he uses him also almost as a running back and has a four-pronged rushing attack uh, to uh, return to the college football playoff for a third time. But what Steve Sarkeesian is, is he is a quarterback whisperer. He developed Jake Locker into a top-ten draft pick at Washington, and Keith Price broke a lot of total offense records there. And what makes it more amazing is, Sark took over the program when they were coming off 0-12. So he really had to build them back to respectability. Now, Chris Peterson and his staff have taken it to the next level. But Steve Sarkeesian is a great play caller and developer of offense, but he's also a quarterback whisperer. And what you want to see, and I'm not trying to put the onus on Jalen Hurts in this way, but what you want to see is progress like Lamar Jackson had at Louisville from year one to year two and he won a Heisman Trophy. Do I think that Jalen Hurts has the kind of, that kind of talent as well, though? Absolutely. And I think Nick Saban, when he was deciding to make a change at offensive coordinator, and don't let anybody tell you Lane Kiffin could have returned for a fourth year. That was not the case. But I will say this. He, was, he, he wanted to help Lane get a head coaching job and did, but he wanted to bring in some new-blooded offensive coordinator to help Jalen Hurts take the next step. Right, and Drew, I want to transition a little bit talking to uh, this this current the current iteration of the Crimson Tide. 
But uh, I'm getting a question in our chat room. I've got our chat open in one of my monitors and being asked, what do you know or what have you heard about Keith Holcomb's injury and then apparently an issue with Cam Robinson asking for updates oh. there? What, what about those those two players? Well, the, the, the scare yesterday, that the, the rumor that always starts, Cam Robinson and Reuben Foster, you know, stuck – Slightly tweaked their knees yesterday. I was told it was nothing serious. They both practiced. Uh, they're fine. They're just a little banged up. And, you know, and, and then you find out also Sunday they went full bore scrimmage. So that's why you've got some other guys a little banged up. My suspicions are that's why you've got, uh, you know, Tony Brown with a pulled muscle. That's why you've got Ardarius Stewart with a slightly pulled muscle. Keith Holcomb then in practice slightly sprained his knee. He came back with a knee brace. He's practiced. From they're a little banged up. There's nobody in danger of missing the game. There was a lot of rumors going on about Reuben having a sprained MCL and PCL, not being able to play. That's not the case. You know they they got a little banged up, and then you know but Cam Robinson and Reuben are fine. They're going to play. Cam Robinson, you would have to amputate his leg for him not to play. This is one of the toughest kids that's played at Alabama during Nick Saban's tenure. He recovered from a sports hernia surgery in two weeks and didn't miss a snap after he got hurt against Tennessee when he was a true freshman in 2014. So he's a leader. He's a, he's a, he's been playing really good football. He won the Outland Trophy because of how he finished the season. And, you know, Alabama, they, they've still got over a week to rest guys and still prepare. And, you know, at this point, the hate, they're going to put their game plan in when they get to Atlanta, but the hay is in the barn. You know who you've got. You just want them to be healthy. And I think Alabama will be healthy by the time of the game. I know there's going to be some angst about that, but I will be surprised if Alabama is not as healthy as you could possibly be. They're not going to be 100%. Nobody is when you're 14. You're going into the 14th game. But they're going to be just fine and have enough gas left in the tank and more for the Washington Huskies. Well, I think that's fair, and I do. I, I know we're going to jump around a little bit here, but Drew, I have to ask. You know, I, I got Redfish's thoughts about the uh, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Shock Linwood deciding to skip bowl games in order to prepare for the draft. But, but what was your reaction to that as that story continued to break and get talked about? It's complete garbage, and what I mean by that is. It's something that I'm completely against. I believe, you know, these kids, I know they they feel like they're going to make a lot of money. To me, before the season, you get an insurance policy. Uh, they are easily uh, attainable. I know it's not for 10 or $20 million or whatnot, but look, these contracts aren't guaranteed anyway. There's a rookie wage scale. And I'm of the opinion of what I heard from Gene Stallings yesterday on my radio station. If a guy does not want to finish the season with his team, have the school president inform him his scholarship is no longer valid. Can't say much stronger than that. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. uh, You're not going to, you know, practice on our dime. And you need to finish the season with your basketball, with your football team or basketball team. Uh, But you need to finish the season with your team and your teammates. I mean, you're, I mean, your brothers, you've all sweat, you've, sweated together, bled together. It's time to finish the year strong like you're supposed to. And to me, you, you, you finish it with your team. Now, I know Leonard Fournette was hurt most of the year. But 
look at what Alabama did in 2010, and Will Lowry has been on my show and said the same thing. We've had that ghost conversations on talk, on uh, talking ball with him, and we've had we've played them on Bams Radio. It's about you know being with your brothers. It's about playing uh, with them and finishing strong. Alabama got healthy in 2010 following uh, those three losses against Michigan State, a Michigan State team with a guy named Kirk Cousins quarterback, and he was about to get paid a ton of money probably by the Washington Redskins. They had lost one game, and Alabama absolutely mud-holed them. And everybody, I'll never forget, the whole narrative was, where has this been all year? What's going on? They were healthy. And to me, you can use a bowl game as a springboard. you got plenty of time to get ready for the draft. Miles Garrett's playing, and he even said so himself. I haven't finished the season yet. I have plenty of time to get ready for the draft. To me, it's a cowardly thing to do. And I don't, and I don't like where this is headed. I don't think I think it's I think it's just I, I, if I were his teammates, I would be completely pissed off because I mean we've we've been playing as a team all year long, and now all of a sudden you're going to put yourself ahead of the squad. I mean, to me, and I tweeted this a couple of days ago. College football is about the name on the front of the jersey. When you go to the NFL and you sign your first contract, I dig it, man. It's about on the back. And the NFL, the contracts aren't guaranteed. So I completely understand that. But until you get through with that, to me it's about – I know college football's big business, but to me it's still a team game and you need to finish it with your teammates. And if not, I just – I completely – I'm against every bit of it. And I think uh, they, they, something needs to be done. I, You know, I know that the Jalen Smith argument is out there. If he hadn't played in the bowl game, he'd have made millions. I'll say this. If the kid is – is as good as I think he is, and he recovers for the Dallas Cowboys. He'll make, he'll remake that down the line. But again, those injuries are few and far between. And to me, it's just setting a bad, bad precedent uh, in, for college football in the future. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think Nick Saban had had a really good. Uh, I will say, Nick Saban had his uh, his crap eating grin going because he said this was going to happen. And lo and behold, as the playoff is ratcheted up in terms of importance, other bowls are just sort of eh. So we'll see if it continues to be a trend. I, I would be very interested to, uh, to to see how it's going to change. I, I don't want to see what the Alabama fan base would do should somebody decide to skip out. Um, I think it would be oogly boogly. And I, in some ways, I'm not sure I could do what? Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, considering you just spent time talking how a slight knee tweak for Cam Robbins and Ruben Foster means that they are uh, suddenly they're not going to play against Washington. So I, I would be, I would be very nervous about how the Bama fan base will react to that, but we'll see. I mean, if, if it becomes a trend, it's going to be something where, the NFL and college football might be at some serious loggerheads about it. And interestingly, I don't know if you saw this, Drew, today, been a sort of uh, a, a, not an NFL D-League, but guys that the XFL is setting up some kind of like spring football league that NFL personnel is welcome at. So that ironically might alleviate pressure depending on how that ends up falling out. If you heard about – did you see that on Twitter today or have you been – in the Christmas shopping mode throughout the afternoon. <laughs> uh, 
know, I've been, uh, you know, get your phone unmasked up all afternoon uh, mode. But, oh. you know, because I, I got a new phone, and I didn't realize getting new phones was going to be such an issue. Uh, but <laughs> in the Christmas season can be, yes. But uh, I did not see that. I knew that 30 for 30 was going to do a, a look back at the XFL. But I had not heard that they were going to have another league trying to get started. I never have agreed with any of it. I, I, you know, I guess I'm a purist in the football sense. But again, to me, I just, I, I, I think it's a bad precedent. I know people are now saying these bowl games are, are, um, you know, are exhibitions and this and that. Most of them don't mean anything. Well, you know, they, they create memories that you're never going to forget. I know that sounds cliche, but it's really not. They take care of you at these games. And, again, uh, to me, if I'm an NFL general manager and I see a cat saying, I don't want to compete in this bowl game, I want to get ready for the draft, I'm going to think to myself, well, when your contract's got a year left on it and we're trying to renegotiate with it, you're going to sit out until we give you a new contract? (laughs) That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. There has been some GM scuttlebutt about how annoyed they are. I mean, I think it's garbage. And the biggest problem is these agents, these these agents, these leeches, these maggots, you know, getting in these kids' ears and telling them, hey, dog, you know, you don't need to be doing this. You need to be getting ready for the draft. Me, 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 me. You need to think about the team. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, uh, a guy like Christian McCaffrey, this just seals it to me. He shouldn't have won the Heisman last year. Uh, he's quitting on his team. I, you know, his, his family's got a lot of great athletes in it. But is uh, and and everything, but I'm 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 just serious. I'm just I don't like it at all. I feel like you should finish strong because a lot of times a great bowl game performance gives you a lot of hype heading into the draft process anyway, and you can get hurt preparing for the draft. So to me, you just need to go out play and compete, and there's no you know excuse not to. And I I completely agree with Coach Stalling. That if you don't want to do that, you're gone. And they just ought to, you know, uh, throw your stuff out the window and then you go uh, somewhere else to start preparing. But to me, that's just garbage and you need to finish with your squad. And any of these guys doing this, I've even lost respect for Fournette. I know he was banged up, but to me, he hadn't played since Florida. With a high ankle sprain, I know they take a while to heal, but I guarantee you he would have been pretty close to 100%. And he meant a lot to people at LSU. And I wouldn't want to go out with my last game being a loss. I would want to go out, and it's a perfect stage for Leonard Fournette. You're playing against the Heisman Trophy winner. Why don't you prove that if you had been healthy, you could have been the man if Alabama hadn't been on your schedule? That's a good point. And uh, I'll be honest, I think that LSU is still going to run all over Louisville. So what you'll you know ironically, do what? I would not be surprised. I think Darius Geis is a, is a great back. You know if they if they can get enough done in the passing game, Lamar Jackson has underwhelmed in the last month. I don't see how the Louisville offensive line is going to be able to block LSU. I think it could be a long day for Lamar Jackson. Matter of fact, I I could see some people if uh, if if we see. Uh, the uh, the what we saw last year out of Deshaun Watson, the Clemson, there'll be people questioning who should have won the Heisman. Though, because with his total body of work, Deshaun Watson 
he, he had a, a really good year, but he didn't have as good a year as last year. He didn't rush for as many yards, threw too many interceptions, but he's still a great, great talent. And, and you know, Drew, that, that actually is an interesting segue. I, I realize that we don't want to talk about Washington Bama as much because I'm sure next week's show is going to be so chock full of Huskies versus Tide talk that I don't want to, you know, water it down this week. But there is that other game, that other playoff game with Clemson and Ohio State. And, you know, this is just sort of holidays, you know, shooting the breeze. Who do you have coming out in that game, and what do you think about it? I personally have Clemson being Ohio State, but that's just me. Well, I'm just going to go with what I hope happens. I hope it's Ohio State because Alabama needs to take care of business against Washington. Then I would like Ohio State, even though I think Clemson is probably the more experienced and more talented team. Uh, And it would not shock at all if they won the game. But I really hope it's Ohio State because I want Alabama to get a piece of those guys after what happened two years ago. I can't stand Urban Meyer. He's a great coach but he's a piece of garbage. I'd like Alabama to get another shot at those guys. Their fan base acts like they own Alabama. They have beaten Alabama one time in the history of their program. And it was two years ago. It was not by 21 points. It was not by three or four touchdowns. It was 42 to 35. Alabama was thrown into the end zone to tie it because Urban Myers completely botched the end of the game trying to run the score up because he's a maggot. And it didn't work. Alabama got the ball back, almost tied it, probably would have beaten them in overtime. He never would have lived it down. But instead, you had to put up with a year of, well, Urban Meyer is the best coach in college football. Well, Alabama slammed that door shut last year after Herb lost to somebody Alabama beat 38 nothing on his home field without the two starting with, uh, with two backup quarterbacks playing. But this year now, the narrative is, well, Alabama doesn't want any piece of Ohio State. I would, I would love Alabama to play Ohio State because I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If Alabama comes out with the right mindset and takes care of Washington, if Ohio State wins a great game over Clemson, Alabama's going to mud hole Ohio State. And I can just about guarantee you that. They're gonna, JT Barrett will be having nightmares for the rest of his career because he's going to get shellacked. Their defense, their team defense is not as good as people think. And Alabama would win that game by 14 to 21 points. And that's what I hope happens, period. Now, do I, what do I think is going to happen? My gut would tell me probably maybe a 31-24 Clemson win. Uh, but still, I hope Ohio State plays up to their capabilities. Maybe Clemson is a little off and Ohio State can win it because I would really love to shut up Buckeye Nation permanently. <laughs> Uh, I can't say I blame you there. I, I, I have to agree with you. Of the other, you know, the, assuming Alabama takes care of business, and I realize that's not a foregone conclusion. One of the things that's really driven me nuts about the Alabama fan base coming into this game is this assumption that Alabama would just kind of walk in and cruise to a victory. But, you know, assuming that Alabama does beat Washington in uh, a week and a half, I think I've got. I think Clemson will beat Ohio State. I think Deshaun Watson's individual greatness will shine through, and JT Barrett will continue to struggle against an athletic front, an athletic defense, really. But I, I agree. And you know, you bring up how Alabama is probably going to mudhole Ohio State should they play. Something that you didn't bring up is 
guys like Jonathan Allen and Eddie Jackson, you know, the permanent team captains, they were on that team two years ago, and they remember what it was like. And uh, <laughs> Exactly. So it, it will be interesting to see. That is for sure, Drew. But uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on one other thing, Drew. We di- I didn't have a chance to speak with you last week because you were covering the game. Do you? I thought that the the Alabama requesting eight years of game tape thing, uh, you know, that that sprung up like at the end of last week, actually after our show, or right before our show last week, but you were out covering a basketball game. What was your reaction to that? Like, I, I, for me personally, I'll give you my take. I just thought Nick Saban was doing his due diligence, and quite frankly, if if the folks out in Seattle think that Nick Saban's doing that because he's scared, they have no idea what Wolverine's tale they have just pulled thinking that they have no idea what they're getting into when they step into Atlanta. But what was your thought about that? Oh, I've been there, done that. I mean, it's just called preparation. Coach Saban would do that against any opponent. He's going to leave no stone unturned. Now, you know, he's, he's tweaked the way they, as hard as they prepared against Ohio State because they felt like they, they tried to prepare for too many squads. And see, that's another thing the Peckerheads in Buckeye land don't understand. But anyway, Alabama has to take care of Washington first. And, you know, Chris Peterson has an extensive history at Boise State. He's done a great job in his three years at Washington. You're going to try to pick up any tendency you can. And that's what Alabama staff does. It's why Coach Saban has probably the deepest group of coaches in the country. He's got an unlimited budget. He has so many offensive and defensive analysts. That's what it's for. You're going to prepare your team to try to win a national title. And the first step, you can't win one unless you beat Washington. Uh, And as Coach Saban's mantra has been, this is the best team we've played by far. The SEC was down a little bit this year. Everybody had four losses. This is a one-loss Washington team that won the Pac-12. You better respect them. They're physical. They're going to come in uh, with a chip on their shoulder wanting to prove that they can win a national championship after just a few seasons ago being 0-12. So they're going to be as hungry as anything. But I think this is a special group of uh, kids for Alabama. They know they're two steps away from perhaps going 15-0. and uh, and, you know, they want to, to uh, continue their journey as well. Uh, they've stayed ultra-focused. I think they were only really flat for one game, and that was Chattanooga, and yet they still win it 31-3. I don't think there's any way that they're going to overlook Washington after what happened two years ago against Ohio State. You know when you get to the playoff, you're playing a great team. You better be ready to go, buckle up, uh, as Avery Johnson would say, and get ready and then strap it up and go. Absolutely. And you said something that I want to dig into a little bit more, Drew, bringing up that how Alabama did, you know, Nick Saban said that Alabama struggled preparing for too many teams that year that they played Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, the first year of the playoff. How big a deal is it to you? Like how, how, how big an advantage is it that Nick Saban has been, Nick Saban and his staff obviously has been through the playoff now the third time through, and they've made some mistakes and had to learn from them. How big an advantage is that for Alabama going into this game against who you just said, you know, a Washington team that is just still trying to claw their way back into national prominence? Well, experience is always good. And that's why Clemson, uh, a lot of people will be picking them to beat Ohio State, even though two years ago some of those Buckeyes 
uh, were on the team, but not many of them. It's a much younger football team. Uh, but, you know, and, and with Alabama, uh, you've already been there twice. You're the only squad that's been in all three playoffs. It is invaluable because you know how to prepare. You know what to expect. You know, you want to be, you want to be, uh, you know, excited about playing, but not overly emotional and just go out and take care of business. You know, Washington hasn't been there before. They haven't uh, played in the high-stakes game, so they're going to be very excited to play, but Alabama should know what it takes. They've been through it uh, two years in a row, one positive experience and one negative, uh, and then, they, you know, the positive one, they won it all last year, so you just, and they because they respected their opponent and they prepared. You can never, there's no, you can't put any kind of price on experience, Thomas. It's always very, very important, I think, in these kind of situations. I hear that, Drew. Well, how about we do this, Drew? Uh, why don't I? Why don't we dive into the Ryan Fowler audio? Unless you have something that I, something burning that you've seen that I might have missed that our listeners might appreciate, and then we can shut the show down a little bit early. I know that you've been doing some Christmas things this evening, and I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to. Well, you know, I would also like uh, to uh, because it had just began, and uh, with the players, I'd also like to to finish maybe after we play the Ryan Fowler, go back and finish our press conference for basketball because it was a big event in Huntsville. Uh, you know, I was a part of that press conference. I would like them to kind of hear the rest of the, the thoughts on that. I know basketball right now is on the back burner for football, but I think it would be a good way to end the show after we hear from Ryan Fowler. Let everybody continue to hear from Riley Norris, continue to hear from Avery Johnson, because I think it was a historic event because it was the first of its kind in Huntsville, first since 99, and very, very successful. Uh, but, yeah, I would definitely like to like him to hear from Ryan Fowler and his thoughts. There's no doubt about that. And then real quickly for me, just to kind of wrap up, I know recruiting is on a lot of people's minds. I touched on Tua Tagovailoa. I touched on Najee Harris. I think Alabama is going to have 12, as many as 18. I don't think it will quite be that many. My suspicions would be 12 to 15 early enrollees. I think right now they feel really good where they are with their class. I think they feel like they're going to bring in Najee Harris to finish off the running back hall. Uh, with the wide receivers, you need to watch Henry Ruggs, who, and I think they're in very good shape for him, and Devonta Smith from Amite, Louisiana, uh, Sam Petito, his mentor, part of the support staff under uh, you know Jeremy Pruitt. So I think that, that's going to be your two wide receivers. Uh, that are left on the board. And I think overall, Mac Jones is going to – this whole narrative of him not being able to enroll early, we had Mac Jones on the show uh, and went over that, Thomas, a few months ago. He was never going to be able to enroll early probably. But the bold school, the school that he goes to, does not allow that in Jacksonville, Florida. No surprise. I still think he's going to stick with Alabama because he knew what to expect. But right now, I think when you look at it, the rest of the class is going to be D-line and defensive back. Watch D'Angelo Gibbs. I think uh, that uh, Jacoby Stevens is going to stick with LSU uh, because, you know, Corey Raymond is going to sign a multi-year deal to stay there under Coach Ogeron. I think D'Angelo Gibbs is going to commit to Alabama from Grayson, Georgia. I think if Alabama could find the right corner, they would add another corner, but Javante Dean will probably likely end up at the University of Miami. Don't count on the other DB. That's just that's a maybe. But I think overall, I think D'Angelo Gibbs will be the other safety. They'll be done there. And then they want to continue this haul on the uh, defensive line. I don't think Akil Byard is going to be part of the class. I think academically 
He may have to be placed in junior college, but he's still a very fine player. But Alabama got Isaiah Bugs, and it can't be overstated how big that was from Gulf Coast Community College. He's one of the best in the country. He's, a, he's almost a Jaron Reed type that can play inside and out and can be an immediate contributor as an early enrollee. And then I think they want to sign three or four more, you know, defensive linemen. I think LeBron Ray from James Clemens is very likely to be in this class. He's always been a heavy Alabama lean, in my opinion. And I think watch Jerez Parks from Sebastian, Florida. Because I think Joshua Kando is going to go to Florida State this Friday. But overall, Jerez Parks, very good player. I think he, he'll, be a, he'll end up in the future being a defensive end. He's about 270 pounds now, very long. I know William likes him a, a whole lot. And then the other uh, guy or two, I think Aubrey Solomon. They'd really like to hold on to him from the state of Georgia. I know Auburn, Michigan, Georgia are still trying to stay in with him. But I think Alabama feels very, very good about where they want to be. And then the other guy, Joshua Kinlaw, uh, or excuse me, Javon Kinlaw, pardon me. Uh, Javon is a Jones Community College kid from uh, Goose Creek, South Carolina. His final three is Alabama, South Carolina, and, and uh, Southern Cal. I think Alabama's in very good shape for him. He didn't enroll early, but I think he'll commit in January. And I think if Alabama lands, the guys I've mentioned tonight, uh, they're going to they're going to blow Ohio State out of the water and end up with yet another number one recruiting class, hopefully to go with the 17th national championship. We'll have to see about that. Yeah, just a couple of things to uh, couple of things to worry about going forward, but. A good spot to be in if you're an Alabama football fan. But, uh, Drew, uh, I guess uh, I'll I'll go ahead and roll out the Ryan Fowler audio. But before I do, I want to thank you for coming on. I realize you've had a bad around with the Christmas season. And, uh, again, wanted to wish you happy holidays and uh, Merry Christmas. Well, I want to wish uh, all of our listeners Merry Christmas. I know we've had a lot of, uh, you know, listenership that's just really been blossoming over the last several weeks, and we really appreciate everyone. Uh, for tuning in to BAMS Radio. It's a labor of love for myself and, of course, with you. And you're such a with a multifaceted role as a, as a co-host and then the wizard behind the scenes. You do such a great job of getting us on the air. We want to thank our, you know, our third amigo, William Redfish Barger, for joining us consistently uh, throughout the season thus far. Uh, we've had a lot of great guests. We've talked to some recruits. We've talked to a lot of coaches. Uh, we want to continue to do that. We'll try to take an in-depth look at Washington next week. Uh, the schedule is going to be kind of hectic. I'm going to be going to Atlanta to cover the game. So, uh, And then I've, I've also got to do the uh, upcoming AL.com Classic Basketball Tournament. But we're going to try to, to uh, bring you as much coverage as we can, uh, whether that be live or recorded. Uh, but we're going to definitely be bringing it on BAMS. And we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas uh, and, uh, and a Happy New Year. But uh, we just really appreciate all of our listeners and everyone that's uh, joined us this year. It's been a magical season, and hopefully it can be finished off the way it needs to be. And uh, we just really appreciate everybody and uh, Roll Tide. And I always love being a part of the show, Thomas. And thank you for all you've done. Absolutely, Drew. Well, if you need to drop off, I can take it all the way out. I'll. For those that are going to keep listening, I am going to play this Ryan Fowler interview with Drew DeArmond. It's about 20 minutes long. Right after that, I will replay the Avery Johnson postgame comments. That's about 11 minutes. If you want to go on and try and get on the line to talk to myself and Drew, if he's going to hang around, the number is 714-510-3707. Go ahead. I've got a couple open lines. I can even screen you because we've got this audio rolling. But uh, 
let's go ahead and listen to this interview that Drew did with Ryan Fowler. It's about 20 minutes long. Here we go. Ryan, it's always great to reconnect with you. How are you this afternoon? Yeah, good. I'm just scratching because you just talked about basketball. <laughs> I, got, I, got these, I got this rash breaking out all over. <laughs> well, uh, we, we were not surprised you weren't in the Rocket City last night uh, for Alabama yeah, basketball. Yeah, I just I couldn't make it up there for that game, and, and I certainly am very disappointed uh, not to be able to make it up to the Rocket City and uh, just to be able – you know, I, I guess they would call me a football-only gump. Uh, I, I guess that's what I would qualify. And, you know, I, I blame this on Bill Battle, uh, really, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, I was a huge basketball fan, and uh, Anthony Grant got me just turned completely off on the program. And, uh, you know, we, he went aces to leave for a, a few days, a few years, and uh, they should have fired him probably two years prior to him getting uh, fired. And uh, Avery Johnson, as I told you, uh, back when, when he was hired, uh, he's going to have to climb, climb Mount Everest in his flip-flops, okay? That's just, that's just where this program was at. And I'll, I'll say this, he's brought a pulse back, okay? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's that nurse that's in the trauma center, and, and she screams out, we have a pulse, we have a pulse, okay? So we have a pulse. And Avery Johnson, I think, is going to build this into a, a tournament team I still think he's probably one year away, and I think Alabama can see uh, the you know the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and and this team, I mean, let's just be honest, they're not very good. I mean, I mean, we we could sit here and we can put a bow on it and wrap it up for Christmas, but it's just like those socks and those t-shirts that you're going to get. You're happy that you got them, but it really sucks as a Christmas gift. And that's where <laughs> Alabama basketball uh, is, and 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 that's where it'll be probably until all those big five stars show up in Tuscaloosa next year. Yeah, you know, they they definitely need the talent infusion. It was a good win last night, though, in front of a packed house and uh, great support for Alabama basketball from this community in the and, Rocket and, City Classic. Go ahead. No, and, and you know what? It's a great idea. And, see, this is Avery Johnson here. This is him working his match. And I've had Avery on my program tons, and, and I enjoy talking to him. I think, like I said, he's got a lot of energy. But this is a smart move. Uh, from him and Aaron Jordan and, and the marketing guys there. This is smart to be able to take Alabama basketball on the road in these different cities that don't have a chance to uh, to go and see Alabama play quite often. I mean, they're not as dedicated as you. Uh, you'll drive down here three hours to see South Carolina Upstate uh, play Alabama basketball. Well, there, there's not many people that are as dedicated as, as you are, so they'll go down, you know, 30 minutes down to the Huntsville and you know, Huntsville's a great town. Got a lot of things to do, a lot of activities. Uh, got some great food. And, uh, you know, it's a chance to go see Alabama, which is something that a lot of people don't have a chance to do. Living in North Alabama, uh, all we ever connected with Alabama was really via the television and, and via the radio with uh, Eli Gold and all those guys. Uh, but but you, you look and, and you, you just you see this basketball program, it's at least coming off of the ground. Okay, I don't think they're a tournament team this year. I, I mean, I think they'll struggle to really probably go 500 in the league, mm-hmm. if that. I mean, I don't. I mean, they offensively at times this reminds you a little of Anthony Grant basketball. To be honest with you, I mean, would you not agree? Oh yeah, they they do struggle. Uh, they don't have a, a really a go-to guy thus far. They're still trying to identify that guy with 
uh, Red No Boss Han now in Italy, and also Arthur Edwards, who was underrated. Both of those uh, guys scored the ball quite well, and they haven't really been able to replace their production. Uh, they've got some young guys like Dante Hall, like Dazon Ingram. Ingram took some steps forward last night. Uh, it's been disappointing with the seniors, Shannon Hale, but Jimmy Taylor took some strides last night, did have 12 points, uh, and did help the team coming off the bench when uh, Dante Hall got in foul trouble. But, yes, no, there's no question. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a building process. Is Jimmy still playing on roller skates? Because he, he was one of those guys. Do you remember those shoes yeah. a couple of years ago that the kids had that had roller like a roller rock in the bottom of the shoe? Mm-hmm. Like they look like tennis shoes. But the, you, know, you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, you yeah. see them going around the mall and, you know, they just pick up their heel and they'd slide. Is Jimmy still playing with those? Because he, I mean, you know, for a couple of years, I think he played with those shoes because he would get pushed around and, you know, just like, you know, built real huge. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, he, he a little toughen up. I mean, I mean, is Jimmy still playing with roller skate? Uh, well, you know, a little bit. He did throw the ball to the ref last night, but he still, oh, that's good. He still did score twelve points, though. He did step up, make some plays inside, and you're good. You're glad to see that from the senior. I mean, this is his last go around. Uh, they need to win the game against Stetson on the 29th, but I will not be there in attendance because of this upcoming AL.com Classic that uh, we love so much in this community that I've been a part of for over 20 years. But, Ryan, uh, to change the narrative a little bit, wanted to talk some uh, college football with you. We know you've had a plethora of guests on the game, especially on the West Coast, taking a look at this Washington Husky program and also Steve Sarkeesian with a closer look. What has kind of been the conversation on your show about Steve Sarkeesian, first of all? Well, let's go back to Sark, okay, just for a couple of minutes. And, man, we have featured everybody. I've lined up a lot of guests for next week. Uh, we're going inside into the program there in Washington, trying to learn a lot about them. And about, you know, in the meantime, I think every guy that we've had on, we've also featured, you know, to ask a question about Sark and, and what they think that he brings. I think this is a great hire. Now, there is an elephant in the room, and I think you'll, you and I will probably address that, uh, looking at, at some of his alcohol problems. And you hope that those are removed, but as someone, my father struggled with alcohol for 30 years of his life, and uh, he's been dead for probably 10 years, and he was a a functional alcoholic. I mean, he worked, but, but he struggled. He would go into situations where he would be gone from alcohol, would be completely sober, and then he would fall back in that trap and in some kind of pressure cooker, you know, something pressured up, some kind of stress, and that's what he went back to. Sark has got all the whole entire support system that he needs uh, here in Tuscaloosa. And and I often wonder, though, is that pressure cooker in Alabama, is that pressure cooker with Dick Saban too much? To, you know, is it going to be one that will push him back to, to that situation where he has to go back to that? Because alcoholism is a disease. And it's very difficult to fight. It, I mean, as people out there are probably listening, they're like, they're nodding their head. It's a struggle. It is a, it's a very, and a lot of times when you fall back in that area is when you go in through high-stress areas. But everything on the field, this guy is brilliant. And one of the reasons why I think he's making that transition from Lane Kiffin going to FAU and Sark is I think a quarterback developer. You and I have talked about this before. Lane Kiffin's a brilliant play caller. But he's not that great of a quarterback developer, or at least he doesn't want to invest that time to be a quarterback developer. And I'm talking about working with mechanics because I simply asked this question. 
Drew, and, and this will answer the question about Lane Kiffin. Has Jalen Hurts significantly improved from game number one when he came in and replaced Blake Barnett through game number 13 against Florida? As a passer, I would say not a lot. If any. He, he, he threw less interceptions in the first five or six games of the season than he has in the last part of the game, last part of the season. It's not even close. I, I think he threw like – I mean, he went like four or five games without interception. And, and now teams are defending him, and this is where Lane Kiffin is great for an offensive coordinator because he can maximize your strengths, he can disguise your weaknesses. But I don't know as far as fixing things. Uh, Yogi Roth had, I think, the best quote that, I, that, that was on my show this week. And you, you remember Yogi, he coached yes. with Lane Kiffin and Sark at USC. He's also the – one of the directors there of the Elite 11 camp uh, out in uh, California and works with all the Elite 11 quarterbacks. He's also a Pac-12 analyst uh, for the Pac-12 network. I mean, Yogi's just a great analyst, okay? He said if he had a – I think he had said if he had a son, if he had a quarterback that someone asked him, he said, I have one quarterback, and I've got to go and I've got to get him ready to play big-time football, and I've got to carry him to one quarterback coach – to get him ready, I would call Steve Sarkeesian. Mm. He said he said he's that good. He said he is a guy that can take elite talent and take them to that next step, which I think Jalen Hurts is. He can take good talent and make it great. He said he can always lift your game. And he said, I, I think you guys will be shocked watching Jalen Hurts work one year under Sark, going throughout the offseason and understanding what he's looking for mechanically uh, – that we will be totally shocked with what he brings to the table. And that's uh, just uh, just heavy praise right there. And I think that's one reason why, along with the recruiting aspect, with Tua Tagovailoa, who will be a quarterback of the future, uh, and Najee Harris, uh, why Coach Saban put Steve Sarkeesian in place this early. But also, uh, you could tell by what he said last Friday, Ryan, about him being a part of the family and helping Coach uh, Sarkeesian. He, he, he's looking at it as a situation like he did with Lane Kiffin and almost also with players in trying to help uh, Coach Sarkeesian overcome his demons. Yeah, and, and, and I think this is the area that we miss about Nick Saban. Nick Saban takes a lot of negative uh, negative heat, okay? He just does. I mean, it, it's, you know, he's this, he's only focused on W's, he's not fo- – no. No, no. You know what? I would have probably said that five years ago, but I cover Nick Saban daily in Tuscaloosa. I go to press conferences. I go to practice. I hear stories. I heard a great story last night. I cannot go on record to talk about you know the quality of person that Nick Saban is. I mean, they do something annually with him and his wife here in Tuscaloosa with, with giving so much back. I mean, we've watched them build 16 houses. I'm sure they'll build the 17th if Alabama's able to win the next two games. But he is one of those that I think he loves winning football games, but I also think he he enjoys helping people. And to be a part of that and to be a part of what – to see him do so many of these things, I think sometimes that is as much about Nick Saban as it is on the championships. He really enjoys when, when kids walk across that graduation stages or maybe coaches come for a rehab program here in Tuscaloosa. But he can do things, and he's got that—he's got that leverage that if he does it, the Alabama fans are just going to trust him because they trust what he's been able to accomplish. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, he's done a lot uh, that people don't know about, and especially a lot of the national media who only focus on his press conferences and maybe what happens uh, on the sidelines of a game or after a game. And, uh, you know, they don't uh, they don't see the whole person. And uh, we had Rachel Barabo on the show earlier this week, and she did an outstanding article on, uh, the, you know, Terry Saban and, and their relationship. And 45 years of marriage, they're about to have their 45th anniversary. And uh, the way uh, in this day and time, Ryan, where so many relationships don't last, theirs has uh, been uh, it, it very strong and is as strong as ever. And they kind of feed off each other. And, and uh, she is a big reason that he came back to college football. And I think that's why they like the college game more because of the impact he can have on young people and so many people even outside of football. And she made a great point about uh, the tornadoes kind of being the, the kind of ending the wanderlust of Nick Saban and tying him to the Tuscaloosa community probably uh, for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's, it's well, and, and I think it's absolutely correct. I mean, when you look at it from, from that standpoint, so uh, it, it's, it's pretty pretty amazing what he's been able to accomplish and, and, you know, just looking at that personal ties. You know, and you know what yesterday was? Did you happen to see what yesterday was? What was it? Was a bit, it was a it was a big anniversary, a tenth year anniversary, when Nick Saban stood at that podium in Miami and says, "I am not going to be the Alabama coach." Well, I'm certainly glad he changed his mind, and uh, you know, at that moment, he may not thought he was going to be the Alabama coach. Uh, I don't think people really truly understand the persistence and the aggravation of Mal Moore. Mal Moore went down there and he aggravated them to death, and he got a meeting with Nick Saban. And he went through who? Terry Saban. Uh, I'll never forget talking to Joe Namath uh, on my show and then prior to the show. And I, I prepared him for this because I knew I was going to ask this question. But I asked him if he knew that Coach Moore was going down to get Nick Saban. He said, yes. And I, you, know how, you know how Joe does it. Mal. I can't even do it. He said, he said Mal. He goes, you better have a backup plan. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Joe was telling us, he said, man, you got to have a backup plan. You better have a backup plan, you know, if you're going to go down and try to get Nick Saban. So, uh, because most people thought Coach Malmore believed in the program. He believed in Alabama. He he loved this place. And, and I think that's the part that is – he does. He should get a lot more credit. He does get a lot of credit, but I think he should even get more because he took a chance and went to South Florida, waited on so many coaches that same year to be hired, and he waited on Nick Saban, and he believed in Alabama, and he didn't believe the negative naysayers that Alabama couldn't rebound and they were coming off of the probation. You, you I mean, Mal Moore believed in Alabama when very few people believed in Alabama. And he was able to make that sell to Nick Saban and, and look at it. Guys, he may walk out of here, and I think he's already there now, and I'm not trying to irritate the older fans. I do that quite often here on my show uh, because I make this statement. He's better. He's a better coach, and, and he will go down as the greatest coach to ever walk the sidelines because what Chris Lowe told us yesterday and if you're an Auburn fan or Tennessee fan, go ahead and turn off the radio. Don't listen to this comment because I don't want you to get depressed here prior to Christmas. Chris Lowe told us, which met with Nick Saban on Tuesday, that he said his light, his pilot light, has never burned brighter than what it is right now. 
it is as burning as bright as ever. And what that means is, Chris told me yesterday on my show, he would not be shocked if he coached into, into, not to 70, but into his 70s. And that would be quite a run. That would be over 20 years. Right. And and so the, the, the thing that I've got to look at is, let's just say he coached for five more years, which would put him at 70. How many more titles does he does he win in five years, Drew? I mean, I mean, with the talent level that he's got, I think he can win at least two or three more. I know that sounds right. insane, but I just it really does, think... it, it does. But I mean, he may walk out of here getting close to John Wooden type numbers in in basketball tournament championships with ten. I, I mean, this guy may not even just be the greatest college football coach; he may be the greatest college coach to to ever coach. Uh, in this game, and, and I think that's where, you know, I, I don't even think Mal Moore, I don't think Nick Saban expected this. Uh, I went back and heard a speech with Nick Saban talking about what he would like to do at Alabama, and it was funny, and I'll have to send you the link, where he was talking about what he was trying to get done, and then you reflect on that after he's won four out of the last seven and about to go for five out of the last eight. Uh, it's pretty pretty remarkable what he said in 2007, and then what came true in 2015, 2016, as we reflect on those previous years. Who would have ever thought this, too? He, he will probably be harder uh, to, uh, to as far as to, for whoever follows in his footsteps to, to oh, take Lord. the reins than even it was for Coach Bryant in a way. Uh, oh, I mean, I'll say this. Who would want to follow this guy? I mean, he's raised the standard of, of the – perfection of, of Alabama football. I mean, I, I was talking about this yesterday on my show is I don't know, you know, maybe going back to UCLA and, and John Wooden and all those days, but have you ever really truly heard of a program? Now, I know a lot of people. I mean, Auburn came in to this year thinking that they could win a championship, which like April Fool's Day, okay? But, but I mean, they convinced themselves, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're, we're going to go undefeated. We're going to win a championship. We're going to do this and that and this and that. And, and a lot of other programs. Like Tennessee, I mean, what, what a what a laughing stock that was. But you you look at I mean, they, they had dreams of playing for a national title. But I can truly say it. it, it it's, not a, it's not a fallacy. This team truly believes that if they don't win a national title, that they were – they're not successful. If you had a, had a chance, uh, and, and Ron McGee wrote an article in ESPN, and it was about Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. And it was about Derrick Henry, and, it, and the quote was, I didn't want to be the group of players that let out that, that allowed the winning to stop. Now, now, you think about that. You chew on that for a couple of minutes. Derrick Henry said, I didn't want to be the, you know, the player, players, or the group of players to allow Alabama to stop. That was one of the reasons why he grinded so hard, pushing transfer trucks around, uh, you know, and, and pulling trucks and flipping tires and all that, because he didn't want to be a player that let Alabama and allowed the winning to stop. That's what he's built here in Tuscaloosa, where players almost feel when they walk in that they've got to continue that trend of winning a national title. And when it doesn't happen, the extra motivation kicks in, and, and they go on runs like what we've seen. Yeah, and it's been unbelievable. 
unlike any. But, Ryan, we'll break down next week more of this Washington game. Uh, but we wanted to get your thoughts on Steve Sarkeesian and also uh, Nick Saban and where he stands right now. Outstanding conversation, and we know it will be more great stuff on the game, uh, both uh, the, for today and then uh, on into next week live in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, no doubt, man. It's always great to be on, uh, and we'll be heading out Monday, uh, the day after Christmas, heading over to Atlanta. And it's always great to talk to those people in the Rocket City. Uh, as you probably know, I don't do a lot of the political correctness. So, Well, that was a long conversation between Drew and Ryan. And, Drew, I, I'm glad you stuck with us through it. That was a heck of a conversation. And, uh, it, you know, I, I don't want to look too far forward. Obviously, Al, there's still a lot to be excited about with Alabama playing against the Washington Huskies in a week and a half. But uh, the future's pretty bright. Uh, that, that really that put the Sarkeesian hire into focus for me. Just listen to that just now. Or I may have lost Drew. I see him on my board. My board's, my board's been crazy today. But, uh, okay, I've got about 19 minutes of live time left, uh, and I wanted to, I have to replay the entire AJ post game from the uh, Anthony Avery Johnson, excuse me, post game from the game in Huntsville. So you're going to hear a little bit that you might have heard before, but uh, it's only a couple of minutes worth. Or Drew, do I have you back? I'm hearing things, guys. It's been a long, it's been a long Christmas. I've been baking myself into a uh, into a stupor. There are more cakes and pies in this house than I think I can count. But here is Avery Johnson's postgame comments after their game earlier this week. Well, first of all, I want to just say a big roll tie to all of our fans and supporters that came out to this game tonight in Huntsville. Wow. Um, you know, when we first started strategically planning this game, there were a lot of uh, question marks. And, and, man, but the city of Huntsville um, – they answered a lot of questions that, number one, they really love Alabama basketball. They love basketball in general. Uh, they're going to support us. And so the first thing I want to just say is thank you to the city of Huntsville and all of the volunteers and everybody, Night Needy, uh, that, that helped organize this game. I know it was a lot of people behind the scenes that I probably will never meet, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this this really felt like a college basketball game tonight, so I'm excited about that. You know, overall, I, I liked our performance, especially defensively. Um, I, I thought we were very competitive. It's probably the first game we've had since I've been here where a team didn't make a three on us in the first half. Uh, sure, we gave up a couple of long rebounds, but I liked our flow and game playing defensively. Offensively, you saw us try to run a little bit more. We scrapped probably half of the playbook, simplified a couple of things. So we got something to build on, and that's a really good team. Uh, they've been scoring a lot of points. They upset Georgetown, upset Army, Tennessee, Chattanooga. So we played against a really good team. So I'm really proud of our guys. Uh, these guys up here, they all had a hand in us winning the game. And, um, man, but I'm really excited about the turnout tonight. It was, it was really incredible. Thank you, Coach. Uh, let's take questions for the players. Just to introduce them left to right, we got Braxton Key, Raleigh Norris, and Jimmy Taylor. Questions for the players. Uh, Riley, I just wanted to ask you how it felt to kind of be back in your home area and play well tonight. Uh, it was great. Um, the fans were amazing. Uh, we had a great atmosphere, which helped us. Um, when the game was close, they helped us keep pulling out those uh, big stops and big baskets. But our team played well. I'm just glad we got a great team win tonight. Um, it's some great momentum heading into the break, and we're going to get ready for a game on the 29th. Let's go back last season. Uh, for Jimmy. 
Uh, you came off the bench tonight at, at 13 points, a big offensive game. Is that what you were kind of looking to provide for the team in terms of offense? Uh, I mean, I wasn't planning on, I wasn't planning on, I was coming out, came into the game trying to do a spark for my team. You all want to come together and get a win tonight. Other questions for the players? Thanks, Coach Sonny. Hey, Brett Riley. Uh, it seems like you drew that, uh, that and one foul, and it seemed like the team really responded after that. I think you guys went on like a 20 to 4 run after that. Did, did that kind of spark anything for y'all? I guess the other two players could answer too. Yeah, I think it was a momentum play, but uh, all in all, our teammates played together. Uh, we made, on the defense end, we made stops together, we got rebounds, we pushed it, and we played freely. I thought that uh, the guys off the bench came and gave us a little spark. Like Jimmy played really good tonight, and uh, we need that going on. Other questions for the players? Go front. Right. Okay. There you go. Bryson, if you could talk about your performance tonight, five for eight from the floor, just how do you think you did out there? Uh, I thought I did pretty well. Um, like Riley said, it was a team effort. Guys were giving me the ball in the right positions. Uh, like Coach said, we scrapped our playbook, played a lot faster, and that's how I'm accustomed to playing all through high school and AAU, and all, like, all you do is run and just run and gun, really. So I think that helped us out a lot, and we had a better feel offensively tonight. Anything else for the players? I have one for the players. Uh, I'll start with Jimmy, Riley, and then Braxton. Okay, Jimmy, what are you uh, getting me for Christmas? <laughs> All right, what about you, Riley? Think uh, fast. Yeah, uh, I'll bring you to Tuscaloosa. It'll be a late Christmas present. All right, Braxton. <laughs> Probably a picture frame, a picture of us, I don't know. Okay, good. All right, thank you. All right, good. All right, guys, thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Right. Thank you. All right, we'll go ahead and start with questions from the coach. Let's start back to the left there, Cecil. Coach, with about 11 minutes to, to go in the second half, uh, Dejan picks up his fourth foul. Uh, they score a bucket, cut it to five, and then you guys go on a 20-4 to four run. You really didn't have to bring Dejan back into the game. Uh, just talk about the, the guys sort of rallying around in that stretch of Corbin out and Dejan. Yeah, it was pretty good. I thought... During that stretch, A.J. did a good job of leading the team. You know, he struggled a lot offensively, man. You know, I guess I can say this. I haven't seen him really struggle like that offensively, you know, since in high school, right? It's funny that I can say that. I guess I know him a little bit. But I thought uh, in the second half he did a good job of settling down. And we played a lineup that we hadn't spent much time playing this year, which was A.J. at one, Braxton at two, uh, Riley at three, Bola, and Jimmy. And that lineup really gave us some nice production on both ends of the floor. They defended the three-point line. Um, we were really concerned about Carter's three-point shooting tonight, so they did a good job there. And then offensively, we basically played inside out. Uh, we didn't run anything fancy. It was really meat and potatoes of what we did, and we had great spacing, and guys made the right play. And, and, you know, Braxton made a three in the left corner, which was huge for us. A.J. came down in, in and out, right-hand dribble, which I was trying to get him to do in the first half. But uh, I thought they did a nice job. Riley was defending. We were big at the two, three, and four, and five position. So that's something that we need to continue to take a look at moving forward. Uh, Coach, uh, first of all, just two two questions. Uh, nine block shots tonight. That's going to be really your big, you're really active, especially uh, Dante Hall. Uh, and even though he got he had more fouls, I still thought he defended the rim really well and Jimmy as well. 
just kind of talk about the shot blocking, and then the second question. Uh, just I thought overall, uh, the, you said they they attacked in, they attacked inside out tonight. But did, did you think that you saw a little bit better offensive flow maybe with Dejon Ingram off the ball? You know that's what we've been trying to do. Dejon is so good with the with the basketball, but we also like when he is off and he can rebound for us, play inside. His defense was terrific tonight. Uh, but I, I, I just think overall the strength of our team is playing inside out. And that's whether it's posting the ball up or penetrating the ball. You saw us uh, with more downhill drives. Uh, in our last game, you know our first real penetration was at the 10-30 mark in the first half. You can't, you can't win playing that type of basketball. So I thought we did a nice job of mixing up our offense. Uh, but at the same time, we didn't run 20 different plays tonight. We stayed in between three, four, and five sets, and that was it. And we're trying to get really good at something. Go in the middle, Tony. You think the team kind of woke up after that play, after that flagrant foul, and what, what did that do to the? Yeah, we were kind of sputtering there early on. Again, we didn't take care of the ball. I think we had three or four turnovers in the first maybe four minutes. So that's kind of been our MO. That's something that we need to continue to work on. But I, I don't want to keep saying the same thing, but the crowd helped energize us. And that's what we're looking for. That's what's so exciting about playing this game. You know, we didn't play the game in front of 500 or 1,000 fans. The place was sold out and uh, standing room only. So the crowd, when we re really needed that big push in the second half, we took off like a rocket. <laughs> Coach, you mentioned uh, that you simplified. Was that uh, something that you, uh, in particular, coming off the Oregon game, that you thought that it would be? Is it, when did you decide to simplify? After the Clemson game. Uh, I didn't sleep. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Clemson. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. After the Clemson game, just pretty much a 24-hour marathon of taking a look at all of our games offensively, every single possession. And the first thing I thought about was we need to run more. We are not running. It needs to be run and fun, fun and run, run and gun. And we weren't doing that. So we're still not there yet. But uh, I saw us take a step in the right direction. And this was really independent of our opponent. I was looking at how we were functioning because we have a defensive identity. We have a defensive identity. We're, hopefully we'll start getting a little closer to having an offensive identity. We can start putting some really good games together back-to-back -to -back offensively. So last question on the far left. Avery, I know uh, after the Clemson game, you, you said that this team needs to grow up. Uh, and, and you need some leadership there. Uh, do you feel that that was achieved tonight? And what other, um, I guess, other challenges did you present to this team coming into tonight? In terms of growing up, we, for the first time this year, we had a 30-minute scrimmage yesterday and during that 30-minute scrimmage where it was Alabama against Alabama, we hadn't even got to the point where we were working against Arkansas State uh, scout team. Um, I didn't say a word. They played for 15 straight minutes, and then it was halftime, and they played for another 15 minutes. And I said, you guys talk to each other. So that's why my voice is gone, because you won't talk. You, you know, I've said this 
that they love to text, but you can't text during the game or practice. So Dejon started talking more. AJ talks a lot. Braxton started taking more ownership and leadership. They, when they called the play, they started communicating with each other. It was a beautiful thing to watch. So I'm trying to help them grow in the maturity in terms of taking more ownership. I know in college everything 100% or 99% percent responsibility falls on the head coach. But I told them they at least got to give me a half a percent or something. You got to give us something. You know, you got to give us some leadership. And I saw the byproducts of that, and it carried over into tonight's game. We huddled up more than we ever have, and I saw somebody in the middle talking to the rest of the players. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Right. Thanks. Merry Christmas, everybody. We've got, we got Arkansas State coach coming on right now. That was Coach Avery Johnson after Alabama's win versus Arkansas State earlier this week. And that is going to do it for this episode of BAMS Radio. I realize it was a little clunky to start, but if you hung with me, I appreciate you listening all the way through. But time for me to get on out of here. I am going to crash out and look forward to the fat man bringing presents. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening throughout the year. We'll be back next Thursday talking a whole lot of Bama Washington. Look forward to that. Everybody have a great, happy holiday and a Merry Christmas. We'll be back next Thursday talking football. But until then, everybody have a great rest of your week and roll tide.